0: uh
1: this is what the f is happening with bitcoin powered by the deep dive uh we're here with uh dylan and sam from the deep dive and utxo management uh and friends myself alex and q and uh we're here to talk for an hour about several topics uh, pertinent to Bitcoin's price. Uh, so I guess before we get into the content, Dylan, do you want to jump in and kind of chat a little bit about what you and Sam do on the deep dive every day and what the newsletter looks like?
2: Yeah, so uh, I work for Sam Rule uh, to put together a daily newsletter, uh, or I guess five days a week uh, about the Bitcoin markets, but uh, we really try to provide context elsewhere uh, in terms of like uh, the macroeconomic backdrop, which Bitcoin pertains to, but also like having this uh, Bitcoin thesis uh, that it's the best money the world's ever seen and we kind of overlay that into all of our analysis uh, but we dig deep into the stuff that like CNBC won't tell you about <laughs> derivatives and all the stuff happening under the surface that we could see with uh, the transparent nature of Bitcoin um, and so yeah check that out if you haven't uh, you can there's both free and paid tiers um, so you know just Join the free tier and, and see how, how it is. Uh, we think it's a really quality product. Um, that's so far based on the feedback we've gotten. Uh, but yeah, we're just going to talk about a little bit of the state of the market today and um, it's going to be a good riff.
1: All right, Alex. I'm sorry for rudely interrupting you there. Uh, back to you. I know we have a bunch of topics that Dylan and Sam prepared, but yeah, I'll hand it back to you, sir.
3: No, no. This is y'all's show. I wanna uh maybe we should introduce Sam to our YouTube audience. Sam, do you wanna do you wanna tell us a little bit about your your work at Bitcoin Magazine and what you're thinking of the markets in general right now? Yeah, 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 for sure. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yes, sir. Yep.
0: All right, cool. Yeah. So, hey everyone, I'm Sam. I've been with Bitcoin Magazine for probably about four or five months now, uh, working directly with Dylan on the deep dive. Um, used to do a lot of previous market intelligence analytics work, so just bringing that over to Bitcoin. Um, trying to make that accessible for everyone, trying to analyze the market in different ways. Um, in terms of like, I guess like an intro with, with my current market outlook, uh, kind of in this ranging consolidation, kind of boring market phase. I think boring sometimes can be good for markets long-term, but um, kind of everyone expecting kind of a parabolic Q4 move uh, coming into the, the last few months. And I think what we got is maybe uh, more cautious stand in the market. A lot more selling off. A lot more of uh, people uh, maybe not bringing in the institutional demand um, at scale that that we saw would be. So, you know, currently as we sit right now, I'm I'm always a Bitcoin buyer. I'm pretty long term bullish on you know the five ten macro year uh, kind of viewpoint. I think we can get into some of the macro, but um, more cautious right now. More cautious in terms of like market sentiment and thinking of where the Fed is going to go with with. Uh, rate hikes and um so we can discuss some of that but um i think a unique time for for bitcoin coming into its third having cycle here
1: i want to jump in really quick uh thank you a lot for that introduction sam and if you're not following sam you need to follow sam he's doing absolutely fantastic work uh so check him
3: out on twitter all right what's first on the on the docket here fed hikes in 2022 yeah, I mean, I guess we can just go over uh, expectations because
2: uh, I don't think too many people know. But interestingly, there is a market for uh, like when you hear the bankers throwing out these predictions for rate hikes and all of that. There is a a pretty liquid market on the C, on the CME, the same uh, exchange where the that Bitcoin futures ETF uh, houses uh, their futures contracts. Uh, there is that for basically the Fed's fund rate. Uh, so. Uh, during those kind of Wednesdays where Powell gets up and says, signals whether he's going to hike or uh, you know taper or, or not, uh, these markets move a lot. And recently, uh, basically November and December, uh, they, those, those markets really started to price in more and more rate hikes. And so currently, uh, if we're just looking at, say, December of 2022, uh, this contract is trading at $98.67. So what that's implying is the Fed's fund rate the market's saying is going to be two, like 233 basis points. Um, so that's signaling a lot of hikes. Um, I'm sorry, uh, one, one, uh, 133 basis points, bad math there. Um, and so right now with the Fed funds right at 25 basis points, uh, there's some hikes priced in. Uh, so we'll see if, if the NASDAQ, if Bitcoin, if so-called risk assets, uh, which Bitcoin trades like, but over the long term, because of its properties, we know that it's more of a risk off asset. For the time being, these macro correlations are not gonna go away uh, and we'll see what that pain point threshold is for markets. Because uh, I think the, the, the thing that everyone's watching out for is when does it break and when does Powell uh, and other global central banks reverse any sort of tightening. Uh, and you know that's gonna play out over all of 2022.
1: Dylan, we were talking a little bit about this on FedWatch yesterday. Uh, which was released in podcast form today. so if you haven't checked out that Fed watch, do check it out. Um, but I personally am really skeptical that there will be any significant rate hiking. Maybe there'll be a little bit and uh, the market will kind of panic again uh, like it did. Uh, I think it was 2018 when it happened when uh, the Fed tried to get tightened a little bit. Um, but I'm I, you know I think that a lot of this is just kind of job owning and trying to, Um, You know, set expectation and impression management more than it is they're actually going to raise interest rates in a meaningful way for a significant amount of time. What's your take on that?
2: Yeah. I mean, if Powell set out to just talk down markets a little bit and, uh, you know, get the market a little bit actually out of position uh, instead of just continuing to melt up, uh, he's been doing a good job. Um, And we'll see. I mean, Powell's been dovish and. Always known for his, his reversal, uh, famously, like in, in 2018 there, uh, when, when the NASDAQ fell like 20%. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I, I, th- I kind of agree with you on that front, CK. I, I don't know how many they get in, but I do know uh, everything's going to go berserk
0: when he, when he talks it back, and he will talk it back at some point. Yeah, I would say that's pretty fair. I'm more of like I'll believe it when I see it. I think I saw a chart earlier today It's like the last time Fed is went for like a 50 basis point rate hike was was 20 years ago. So it's you know a unique monetary policy position and fiscal policy that you know we've never quite been in before. Um, so yeah, I, I I like to think that now the markets are are doing whatever they can to be cautious, preparing for this, pricing this in in terms of rate hikes and expectations and Because of that, you know, obviously risk assets are are taking a hit, Bitcoin along with it. Um, You know, what's an interesting framework to think about the market too is um, this is an old kind of framework from Ray Dalio and Bridgewater and is used by, you know, a a few different macro analysts now, very data driven. It it looks at the market in terms of um, different market regimes. So this year is expected to be an incredibly deflationary uh market and and being that you know growth is coming down inflation is coming down which is a tough environment for bitcoin that with monetary uh kind of policy tightening is is a little bit of a, a tough recipe for for a disaster or a policy error that's pending so you know i'm i'm in the line of thinking i will believe it when i see it in terms of the rate of change of what they do i think uh, they'll certainly try to stick to it and attempt to do it um and then we'll see how the the market reacts Sam, I want
2: to add to that point there. We were talking earlier a little bit about um, the type of entrance that came into the market over the last two years because some Bitcoiners, (laughs) and rightfully so, get not upset, but are are saying, like, it's not a risk on asset. Uh, You know, it's my risk off asset or it's my unit of account. Uh, But just the reality is the reason Bitcoin is trading like it is is because there's a whole lot of institutional capital that came in in 2020 and 2021, uh, especially, like, for example, if you look at the Grayscale discount, Grayscale was buying hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin uh, on on behalf of institutional investors in 2021 uh, and early 2021, late 2020. uh, They were buying 10,000 Bitcoin at a time certain days. Um, And so all of of those uh, arbitrage traders who were looking to kind of take advantage of that risk-free spread, which ultimately wasn't risk-free, Uh, Those were accredited investors, macro investors, institutional investors, and they're all treating it as a risk off. So when you see GBTC trading at a 26% discount, well, it's because those allocators are dumping on secondary markets that aren't very liquid. Um, So I think that's a telltale sign of just, uh, you know, the type of people that are trading this at the margin at at the moment, besides the everyday buyers, uh, are treating it just like they are, uh, you know, a bag of tech stocks. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's, it's a really good point that like uh, in a way that, you know, the institutions are shifting the maybe demand narrative or the, the bigger reason why people are buying Bitcoin and it can, you know, go along in that line of thinking that kind of Ray Dalio, hey, Bitcoin is a one to 2% portfolio allocation. And then once it's kind of in that portfolio of allocation, um, you know, investors and people are holding it have to you know, figure out where it sits in terms of asset allocation. And right now, it certainly looks like a just performing like a high beta, like high growth tech stock type investment. And so in these like environments, when you're more cautious or we're thinking about more higher Fed rate hikes, I think we just have to think about the level of institutional capital that's in Bitcoin now and might be a main driver. So even if you're a big corner, someone like us who's looking at this as like a risk off asset asset over the next, you know, 5, 10, 20 plus years. Um, it's just not quite there yet. And, and certainly not trading like that with all of the, uh, the equity correlations going on.
4: I do want to pose a question to the two of you, especially talking about equity correlation. Um, we're, we saw at the end of last year, two new ETFs get introduced. I believe it's going to be this week or next week. We're going to get yet another Bitcoin, this time a mining ETF. And as these new offerings come into the markets, what effect Do you guys see it having on the overall uh, price of Bitcoin? Like, I have my own theories on this, but I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking and seeing.
2: Yeah, I would just say, uh, like, you know, I think there's about 25 publicly traded miners uh, are about to be uh, with like a pending uh, going, like, there's a couple that are pending to go public. Uh, And, you know, some of these are are very small, less than a billion dollars. But just like Bitcoin mining or Bitcoin itself continuing to just immerse itself in public capital markets. Uh, is a is a big development, um, and yeah, so like in that sense, it'll probably be increasingly treated more as this like risk asset, like we're talking about, but as like a form or a former representation of like the everything credit bubble. Um, but you know, get like getting access to the super cheap capital. Uh, Where you see disparities in, like, say, like the traditional banking system versus what you can get in, like, the crypto ecosystem, if you want to think of it like that, Um, and that will, I think, continue to close. Uh, And then when you know, whenever this kind of reversal happens that we're talking about, because there will be another bust, and then an ensuing credit impulse or credit boom, and that's when Bitcoin decouples or outperforms everything else. Um, But just you know, really, them having access to the capital. You see like my miners, like, uh, I forget who recently just bought, I think it was BitFarms, bought like $50 million for the Bitcoin. Um, even though they mined it at $10,000 or like a very cheap level, uh, they were just buying more and they did it, they did it uh, with some leverage. And so uh, you'll continue to see that, I believe. Uh, and it's a net benefit, you know, uh, just additional adoption and getting it in more and more people in capital markets, their balance sheet.
0: Yeah, I'll just add on the on the mining ETF piece. It's kind of interesting that you're getting this new vehicle where, where you're getting all these vehicles and you're trying to satisfy all this appetite for Bitcoin demand, which can be anything from self-custody to futures to spot to miners, and, and miners are uh, attractive for a lot of investors. So um when you're, when you're thinking about now, they're just becoming, you know, apart from their business, they're also just becoming like a Bitcoin kind of spot ETF vehicle in itself is they're trying to increase their Bitcoin holdings as much as possible, potentially, you know, satisfy some of this investor demand. And you see these in their 10Ks and their 10Qs talking about um, quite a bit trying to increase these holdings, which I think is, you know, really just giving more Bitcoin per share uh, for, for each minor investor. So, Interesting way to to look at it. I think uh, the more kind of Bitcoin ETF products coming out or vehicles to to kind of figure out what is better for demand for people right now, kind of better for the market overall. But yeah, in terms of
1: what's happening with the market, I really, I think y'all touched in on this a little bit, but uh, there is a really strong correlation between Bitcoin and tech stock and tech stocks. And, you know, a lot of the same people that are trading Bitcoin are trading tech stocks, um, is there anything like deeper that you guys can pull from that? And is this a correlation that you think will, will last? Um, I know Dylan, you did mention that eventually there'll be, uh, uh, you know, some sort of a, uh, separation or, or, a break in that correlation. But, uh, let's, I, I would love to dive down that a little bit deeper just because it seems as though Bitcoin is monetizing and, uh, that's something that is, is difficult to, uh, to separate from other equities?
2: Yeah, I think the, the really interesting thing and the reason that it does meaningfully decouple uh, at seemingly random times, right? Uh, if you just think about after the 2020 uh, stimulus when Bitcoin ranged at $9,000 for m- seemingly like six months while while everything in the, in the legacy world mooned. Um, well, like what on-chain analytics can show you uh, is oftentimes is, is these like supply demand dislocations occurring or uh, unfolding under the surface, you know, and that's not being shown by the market price, but like these massive accumulation periods that are occurring. Um, and you see like with, with, say, long-term holder trends, which is uh, just a classified UTXO that's that's held for about 155 days, uh, a, a basically technical term for Bitcoin being held for a long period of time. You see that, that long-term holders accumulate, uh, through bears and consolidation periods uh, and actually distribute at, at the top of markets, um, naturally because the incentive to sell increases. Uh, and so we can, we can start to see uh, this accumulation just start to uh, turn around again um, and, and like stuff like a liquid supply and all these other metrics that we like to look at and post about um, can develop under the surface while the marginal buyer or seller uh, is acting irrationally or is, is basically trading on correlations like what's happening today. Um, so the smart money, uh, which historically has been Bitcoin stackers, uh, is a buyer at any level and taking a, away a little bit of that fixed slice 21 million pie every single day. And so uh, when that marginal seller turns into a whole lot of marginal buyers at once, say when we get another round of quantitative easing or trillion dollar stimulus package, what happens is that Bitcoin decouples in a, in a big way. And so I think we're we're seeing that accumulation occur a little bit under the surface, and the, the stackers of last resort are buying, regardless of, of NASDAQ correlations or anything else. Um, but that's just my thoughts.
0: Yeah, it's, that's super well said. I think uh, it just erodes over time, and it's hard to tell when. I mean, right now, I think it's it's probably closely correlated as everyone is trying to figure out this macro regime and trade off of it, and, and you have this huge speculation and push down on the risk curve, so everything looks like it just becomes... Kind of one bucket in investment there. Um, and and the way I try to think about it is is maybe there's a level of capital, you know, maybe it's three, four trillion or so when, when Bitcoin starts to just start behaving a lot more like its own asset class that's unique to the market. Um, who knows what that percentage level is, but it might be a good way to think about it. Okay, if it hits that first milestone of uh, getting to some market cap related to gold, gold trades in its own way, kind of builds its own narrative and education as an investment, it gets its own allocation that's, you know, kind of different from the market. So um, definitely I view it as like something that takes time, and it's like a slow grind over up as we have this just increasingly kind of like long-term holder mentality when, when people are coming to Bitcoin and, and holding and adopting it.
3: Q, you had something about leveraged Bitcoin buys?
0: Yeah, I, I,
4: I want to go back to this because it's been brought about twice just in this conversation by Dylan. Firstly, when we were talking about microstrategy and then just now with Bitfarms. Um, and we're seeing it because capital is so cheap right now, rates are so low. But at the same time, I also see you, Dylan, absolutely shred the leverage buyers apart on Twitter. I'd love to hear from both of you on like what net effect do you see that having when there are leverage buyers in the Bitcoin market? Does that sort of weigh the price down a little bit? We've seen some flushes out in the past. I know you guys talk about it in the deep dive um, newsletter as well, but I just wanted to get your guys' sense on, on those type of buys.
2: Yeah, I mean, on a net effect, derivatives make, and this like on a net basis, they make no lasting effect on the Bitcoin price. But on the short time frame, because with every derivative contract, there's a there's a buyer of the contract and a seller of the contract, and the exchange just facil just facilitates the the handling of the Bitcoin and and the execution of the contract. That's all the exchange does. Um, so if you go leverage buy a bunch of Bitcoin on a perpetual futures contract or March 2022 futures contract, there's a seller of that uh, and they're promising to, to deliver you Bitcoin at that price. Um, and usually that trades ahead of the Bitcoin price, but if too many, if there's too many longs, if there's too many ecstatic buyers and they're, they're bidding up the price using Bitcoin as collateral to do it, well, some opportunistic whales will come in and even though they're bullish on Bitcoin, they'll just sell the thing to, to push the price down to make those leverage buyers force sellers. Um, so you can think of leverage like there's mark to mark leverage. And there's basically gambling casinos where you can slide up the leverage to 100x. And bet Bitcoin just goes up 1% before it goes down 1% to see if you double your money or lose it all. Yeah, there's that leverage. And really, those that, that materially doesn't make too much of a difference because anybody that's doing that is just asking to lose money. But there's also leverage in the form of Michael Saylor having a billion dollar software intelligence business and going to the bond market and borrowing for six years secured by his business and then just buying Bitcoin with it. Uh, and that liquidation risk is a lot different than the profile of someone trading on BitMEX or Binance or a lot of that. Um, and so more often than not, these derivative dislocations are on the long side because everybody wants to to long Bitcoin, to long crypto and to make more. Bitcoin, longing Bitcoin, just like, like everybody wants the price to go up. But natu- so naturally, you see more those liquidation events, the volatility, the you know derivative, derivative degenerates are ruining the price. Like it's, it's usually on the long side. But every so often, say at the bottom of the bear market in 20, uh, 2019, when Bitcoin snapped up from 3,000, uh, this summer at 30,000, you see shorts really get offsides. Uh, whether it's a narrative or anything else, and and you'll see that opposite effect. Um, so that's just kind of the derivative dynamic, but it exists in in uh, the legacy capital markets as well, with everything being collateralized by every other asset uh, and the Fed being kind of that marginal buyer of last resort. But in Bitcoin, the thing is, there just is no buyer of last resort. It's just regular people just coming in to save, to save the bid, you know?
3: Nice. About halfway through uh, our show here, I just wanted to remind people before you go out and take on a bunch of leverage to buy Bitcoin, take a break from buying Bitcoin and buy your Bitcoin 2022 conference tickets. Especially if you love this deep dive, Dylan Leclaire is going to be speaking people, Sam rule Q CK. We're all going to be there. We're all super excited. You get 21% off your tickets with promo code Y T M a G. And with that, I'll pass it off to Q.
4: Um, I do kind of want to touch on, and I, I know I'm going to throw Chris and, in- into the loop, and I'm so sorry. I have the chart pulled up if we want to show it as well um, from your year-end newsletter, but the short-term holder cost basis has been a significant sort of, I'd like call a technical line that you guys have used and showcased previously on uh, different iterations of your deep dive newsletter. And I just wanted to sort of touch, because correct me if I'm wrong, we're still trading below that current line, correct? And we're going to get that up onto the screen just shortly for all of you viewers.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can talk to this one a little bit. We just we just updated this yesterday. For a while, the you know the short term holder cost basis, is also referred to as like the realized price. Kind of with on chain, we can see basically you know the exact price that these coins are exchanging hands, and so then the market is then broken into short term holder and long term holder classifications. Uh, short term holder just being you know those recent buyers of coins. Um, what are they doing? What are the price points they're talking about? So yeah, that that one around 53,000 was, and it's gone down now to a little bit of like 49,000, a little bit over there has been a key level to watch because essentially, you know, you want your new buyers in the market, short-term buyers kind of demand coming in. Um, you want them to be uh, profitable, right? Or, right? or like in line with Bitcoin price. And if that gets too out of line with price and dislocation, I think right now they're down 15, 16% on average. And that's kind of a rough, you know, short term holder cost basis, realized price is like a rough way to look at the market because that can also include coins just moving on the network, not necessarily, you know, being sold or, or bought as well, um, but just kind of trading addresses and wallets. But yeah, that's been a key one. And that's one we've talked about a lot when it was 53 to say, like, hey, if we're going to continue in this, uh, parabolic type rally, or if we're going to see more strength in Bitcoin, really want to see the market surpass that level. So I think that's a really useful on-chain kind of metric to look at and and kind of with the reverse, you can see the long-term holder realized cost basis, which is much lower. It's around 17,000 or so. And there's very little times that that price kind of goes below that, that long-term holder cost basis. Yeah. And and really just why that's important is like, if you look at every
2: single bull market and, The history of Bitcoin, it's essentially long-term holders corner the market, corner a a large majority of circulating supply, and short-term holders, just coins that are young, is if you want to call it that, uh, are basically um, competitively bidding or competitively trying to acquire their stake. Uh, And so, during every bull market, you see this cost basis of of these young coins. Uh, If when the market price touches. It almost like acts like a, a super strong level of support, uh, and it's defended very hard. And so uh, when that falls, you've just kind of seen uh, the bullish structure, like Sam said, break down uh, to, you know, to, to lower levels, uh, and then that long-term holder accumulation continues on. Um, so it's almost like a back-and-forth yin-yang relationship uh, that we see, and we can quantify it all with, with the on-chain analytics.
4: Awesome. I, th- I guess then uh, we would be remiss to not be also talking on the other side of that, the long-term uh, holder cost basis and sort of, can you walk us through a little bit of like, what effect those two have off of each other? Is there one in particular that you're paying attention to? Or are you guys sitting there like, dude, that is the wrong line. Don't even look at it. Um, walk us through a little bit of that. Like I'm a moving average guy when it comes to stocks and technical analysis. So that's why I love, I love the, uh, the different sort of lineages that you guys have created through the deep dive program.
2: Yeah. I mean, I just, if you want to combine them together and just, just use realized prices, like more of like a, just an aggregate market, market cost basis. Um, we'd really like to look at that. Uh, that's been like this historical generational buying opportunity threshold. And that's at like 24,000. Uh, and if we, if we've got that low, it might be a little lower just because of some capitulation with of coins, but Yeah. I mean, that's kind of when you're looking at like Bitcoin and like the oscillator bull and bear markets uh, that realized price, that aggregate network cost basis is basically the line in the sand between like, you know, you're not going to get a better entry or much of a better entry. And so, you know, if you're feeling like risk, risk adverse, throw a limit order at 25 K and, you know, just turn log off Twitter. (laughs) Uh, But if not, you know, continue to stack. But I think that's what we really like to look at is like the ratio between Price and realized price. And you can kind of see some really cool trends uh, with like local boom and bust cycles. Uh, and so we're, you know, we're kind of in the middle of a bust, uh, you know, 40% down from the highs. Uh, I mean, it's, I'm allocating to Bitcoin right now. I know uh, UTXO is, and most of us are feeling really bullish. Um, but yeah, that's probably when you're thinking about like levels, that's probably, I would say, the lowest that we'd, uh, we could expect.
1: Bill, I find it funny to say that if you're uh, if you're conservative, then you should put a limit order. I'd say if you're not conservative, go with the limit order, and if you're conservative, then you should be stacking. You should just be stacking regularly, price agnostic, just dollar cost average on a regular basis.
2: Yeah, I, I agree, and that's what I do. But uh, but yeah, I guess conservative in the fiat fiat world sense.
1: <laughs> this is saving advice, guys. So this is how you save: you just you just dollar cost average. Um, yeah, Dylan, that Bitcoin. Sorry, Alex. Dylan, I wanted to ask you, and, and, and Sam, feel free to jump in too, but a lot of people are talking about much lower Bitcoin prices, and part of that is fueled by fears of interest rates being hiked, and part of that is kind of fears on like the stock market is just going to pull uh, Bitcoin and other assets down as kind of macro uncertainty continues to mount. I mean, are these unfounded fears, or I guess, like, in terms of like, what are the the bigger picture things that are happening uh, that could cause the dollar to spike? Because really, that's what makes asset prices go down is dollars appreciating.
2: Uh, Yeah, I would say, um, you know, there's a lot of ugly stuff happening in the world right now. Energy, the price of oil is is going parabolic, Uh, and conversely, that's actually deflationary. Like paradoxically, that's deflationary in the sense that. Uh, as oil price really spikes, uh, it pr- puts a lot of pressure on consumer and corporate balance sheet margins uh, for everywhere uh, on the planet. And so, in that sense, uh, it causes kind of a credit unwind eventually. That's if you look at like what happened in the housing crisis of 08, uh, it was really like energy went parabolic and then fell off a cliff uh, as there was almost like this huge credit impulse uh, money boom. And then all of a sudden, it unwound. And that's kind of what happens with fiat and the, like the cyclicality of it all. And with I think we're in that downswing. And so in terms of Bitcoin, I'll share a chart here. Uh, since the summer, we've seen basically the entire market's driven by derivatives. Uh, just look at the, I, I shared a tweet earlier, uh, if you want to look at that, but on Twitter spaces, but it's just the price overlaid with the derivative annualized basis. So like, the spread of three, uh, three month futures. And then you just annualize that, uh, and price is traded one-to-one with that. So, uh, what you're kind of seeing is just incumbents are just bidding against each other, uh, almost. And like, uh, it's just incumbent capital and crypto markets that are bulls and bears and, and the legacy allocators, not that they're not here or or not coming, but for the, for the meantime, you know, mostly that those, that crowd is risking off, uh, so we're we're already that's already been priced in to a large extent. What brings lower levels? Uh, well, forty K looks really strong uh, from the spot side of things. Uh, we've seen a, like a couple of rallies from the lows in this range uh, that were led by spot markets, and you could see that with reflected in the funding rates and the derivatives. Um, but if that breaks down, you have a lot of you have a lot of potential leverage uh, that's both transparent. In terms of like being mark-to-market derivatives, but also uh, off, like not that very transparent, like you know, just just basically debt in crypto markets that is all collateralized, and so that could lead to some sort of cascade into the '30s. Like it, it could. It's a non-zero probability, um, but you know, we'll see if that comes.
4: I'm curious, also, just to kind of get a sense from you guys. I, <laughs> I'm always of the side that as we continue to introduce some sort of an asset that's not a traditional stock into these stock markets we start to see this coupling effect dylan you you touched on the decoupling that we need to see for this sort of next bull run up what are what are things you're keeping an eye on what are is is it something out of the legislative area is it something out of the fed something they say a policy shift or change what are sort of clues that you're keeping an eye on for that decoupling
2: yeah, I mean, I would just say bigger picture, like aside from any like real analytical framework or like correlation or chart, you just see the broader adoption of Bitcoin happening daily, like Intel yesterday uh we're probably going to see another couple of countries in twenty twenty two You see the proliferation of the lightning network and that scaling faster than anybody can imagine uh the twenty seventeen bull market lightning wasn't even a thing, it was a beta concept now you're able to send money over Twitter in the form of dollars. Yes, but it's using the Bitcoin network to do it. Uh, And it's, you know, it's seamless. Um, So it's like Bitcoin is scaling in that sense. Uh, Bitcoin transactions to use the network. It's unbelievably unfairly cheap so much. So it's so cheap that in 2022 there's FUD about the Bitcoin supply cap because fees are so low. So like Bitcoin is scaling at, at an incredible rate. And I think, just broader adoption-wise, like, that's the reason to be bullish. Like, there's no, like, almost strip it down and no need for any sort of financial market analysis indicators, moving averages, none of that. And just being like, okay, Bitcoin is working and it's being adopted by millions and millions of more people and there's a fixed supply like it's just that's it you know it's 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 almost as simple as it gets
1: um i i want to jump in here too because i find it absolutely mind-blowing that people look at the the bitcoin mempool situation and fee situation and think wow we need to manufacture need for block space like it makes me think that people don't understand exponentials because we don't even have a small sliver of mankind and a small sliver of all financial transactions happening on the world on Bitcoin yet. You know, the amount of fees, the amount of demand for block space should scale as, you know, Bitcoin becomes more and more part of the financial system. So uh, to, to think that, oh, wow, we're in trouble when we don't even have 1% of humanity on Bitcoin yet, it just seems kind of crazy because block space is absolutely finite. Um, as far as we know, I mean, obviously, SegWit has found ways to increase it and there's c- clever cryptography and, and uh, lightning is a way to scale. But ultimately, that block space is finite. And, you know, we just have so much more adoption to go. So uh, there's a lot of exponential growth to come. And uh, it, it doesn't really seem super realistic to be overly concerned. And if anything, I'm optimistic because, yes, Bitcoin can scale, uh, versus where there's other things that have massive fee issues right now that absolutely can't scale, given you know how you know they have even fewer users than Bitcoin.
3: Yeah, for what it does, uh, you know, Bitcoin has you no know, competition in this world, and I think I'm just excited to have you know that we all have found it. Everyone here can celebrate and actually use Blockspace. Now we get to settle our transactions. We can achieve final settlement. People living in the fiat world never really have that. Their assets are always at risk of confiscation. There is no final settlement in the fiat world, in my opinion, anyway. So uh
1: where do we go from here, gents? I mean, what, what other tips have you been kind of following in the newsletter and and out uh, you know, in your analysis?
2: Yeah, I think it's just staying patient. Uh, you know, it's that's part of the the challenge and the fun of of producing. Uh, analysis and coverage and of what's happening daily. Uh, some there's sometimes there's really really crazy periods uh, where it just seems like a million things are being thrown at you, and sometimes there's just periods where you know just to be patient and and stick with your your long term thesis. And so uh, we're still giving the coverage, uh, but really uh, a lot of the like on chain stuff, the derivative stuff, really hasn't changed uh, from a month ago, uh, from a couple months ago. It's if anything, it's just kind of again, this macro narrative that's being priced in, that everybody's watching. Uh, I've been honestly watching equity markets sometimes more than I've been looking at like some of the Bitcoin analytics that I usually look at uh, recently because that's that's the game at the moment. Um, but in terms of what to do, it's just, you know, if you value your net worth in in Bitcoin terms, which I think uh, is is a no-brainer thing to do, then you should be, you know, getting to all-time highs every day. Uh, that's, that's a... A no-brainer way to win over the long term, in, in my humble opinion.
1: What in equity market markets are you following in particular? Like, what are the signals that you're looking for? Uh, what do you see as kind of leading indicators?
2: Uh, well, yeah, leading indicators is tough. I mean, everybody wishes they had the, the secret sauce, but uh, just looking at the ind- indices, uh, S and P 500, more so tech, the Nasdaq. Uh, Looking at Ark Invest, uh, a lot of like the more speculative things. Um, if you want to look at the VIX, which is the volatility index of the S&P 500, uh, it's kind of like a good tracker for uh, risk off in markets. Also, looking at the the DXY, the dollar currency index, so the dollar strength against a basket of fiat's, uh, and when that's increasing, then usually assets, including Bitcoin, take a hit because the dollar's appreciating. So. Just, just looking at all these things daily, and uh, I mean, waiting for a big move. But for the meantime, it seems like everybody's just kind of, kind of preparing for something. So maybe we get low to sleep a little bit longer. I said, there's nothing,
3: <laughs> uh, nothing better than a little, uh, a sideways action to just appreciate all that we've learned in this Bitcoin space, and just like continue have a moment to breathe and actually, um, you know, catch up and explore new topics in Bitcoin and find new ways to. You know trade value with the world and uh accumulate more bitcoin just upping your your all-time high day by day like dylan said the volatility
2: would be fun going into the conference but yeah i, I agree I, I can't i can't
1: hate it i mean as a bitcoin boy you almost root for price to dump just because you know that your your dca and you know all that powder that you have uh laid off to the side if you do have any powder it's just going to go a lot further so uh it is pretty exciting when you do denominate your wealth in sats uh when sats are on sale
2: here's a funny story uh about anecdote about myself uh with when i was asking for uh like when i was negotiating uh, with with uh, btc inc i asked for a large chunk of my salary to be denominated in bitcoin at 57k uh, so, so I didn't get that, uh, unfortunately. But fortunately, it looks like it may have been,
4: <laughs> it may have helped. Someone was looking after you. Someone wanted to make sure you were taken care of. <laughs> um, I okay. want to touch on. You brought up yesterday, um, like the mining. All these mining companies keep talking about hash rate, and expectations are at the end of this year we're going to see a hash rate break above 300. Um, today, we just hit a new all-time high in the hash rate. We have Intel coming in, as you just brought up as well, to build out new miners, and this competition should hopefully help decrease the cost of miners as well as increase just their capabilities. What, if any, effects are you sort of paying attention to? How much are you giving credence to the present hash rate, or, and what are your expectations for um, the next 6 and 12 months? Sam, give this one a go, man. You're, you're pretty well versed on the mining mining
2: world. Yeah,
0: I can, I can touch on this a little bit. Um, and also, I'll just plug that uh, Galaxy Research came out with a really good end-of-year mining report where they go over some of their projections. And, and we've done some, too. I, I, the, when I think about, like, hash rate projections, I'm trying to gather all of the data that comes in from these public Bitcoin miners. And when I start thinking about, like, the supply chain issues with ASICs and that potentially dampening the growth in hash rate. Every time I think about that, it's almost like every month they up their uh, miners that they're buying and they're planning for, and they're upping their hash rate expectations for the whole year of 2022. So, when I you know I start thinking of like a hash rate hitting 300 or, or doubling to like 360, 370, uh, it starts to be, uh, it starts to look like a, a real reality when these miners are delivering on these every single month, and so now it's just something that you know, you can see this, whether it's in, in Marathon or Riot or, you know, a handful of other bit farms, the like, they're publishing this information all the time. And so if you start thinking like if they're if they're um, have a majority share of the market and they're talking about growing at, you know, a 200 percent plus in, in terms of their hash rate. And then they start delivering on that. You just start seeing 22 is this explosive year for hash rate growth now. Um, still like to see what happens in the first few months to see how big of an impact supply chain issues are but i feel like that's the best data or some of the best data and information you can get on uh on how many asics are, are really coming to the market and a lot of these are um kind of already planned out and purchased and orders that you know were four or five six months ago as well um so i think it's going to be a pretty explosive year for for hash rate growth i think um you know a significant factor above what we saw in 2021
1: Sam, I'm, I'm kind of suspect of a lot of the projections coming out of these public miners because they're really kind of just using really like basic, you know, scaling, linear scaling projections and, uh, and then they're making claims that they're going to increase hash rate a lot, but they're not taking into account all of the complexity and nuances with fabric- fabricating these ASICs, shipping these ASICs and then breaking ground and building the facilities to house the ASICs and power the ASICs. And there's just so many moving uh, pieces here. Um, I just, I can't imagine that these like one year projections, six months projections um, are going to be super accurate. I don't know. What's your take on that?
0: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think if anything, you know, when you do forecasting, you're going to get it wrong most of the time. And you're going to forecast to the upside. And I think a lot of them are forecasting a lot of upside because... It's a really a hash rate race to try to get as much as possible and to drive up a lot of the investor kind of uh, equity and, and debt ability that they have right now too. So I think that's totally fair. I think that, you know the good thing is we can see that data come in like month by month, um, and so it's not real time, but it, it at least it's uh, it's strong enough to see if those projections are coming true. So after a few months, I think we'll we'll be able to tell a little bit more. Um, you know, if something like a three hundred and fifty you know, hash rate growth will come in for the year.
3: Uh, before we jump back in, I just wanted to remind people to again uh, go get your Bitcoin 2022 conference tickets. Get them today. They're scarce, just like Bitcoin. It's the best opportunity to f- for you to find some work in Bitcoin that's going to happen all year, tied with the biggest party that's going to happen all year. It's going to be amazing. Uh, 21% off with discount code YTMAG. Take it away, Q.
4: I always love talking to people who are just so much smarter than me. Like, Sam, I will be completely honest, the entire um, supply chain issue hasn't even been in my mind when I think about Bitcoin mining. And yet, at the same time, I still consider it when I think about, oh, Tesla's not going to deliver their cars. Oh, this business is going to be short on supplies. Are we going to have enough lithium for batteries? So uh, thank you. Now I have something new to, to look at and pay attention to there, my friend. Um What else out of the mining space, because we are on this show obsessed with mining. We're going to be talking about it a lot over the next coming weeks. Are there anything else that you're paying attention to out of that space? Um, Yeah, I would
2: just, I would just say if you, if you buy Bitcoin mining stocks um, and you're not doing it uh, from the base, you're doing it because you want to accumulate more Bitcoin, uh, like Or ultimately, if you're bullish on a Bitcoin miner uh, and you value Bitcoin the asset at all, you should be denominating your returns in, in BTC uh, and you should be looking at their, their monthly like revenue and, and all of that in, in Bitcoin terms. So you, you have to use, if you want to use hash price, which is minor revenue divided by hash rate, uh, essentially you see that's, if you look at like the miners, like say Riot in USD, but if you say Riot slash BTC, you're denominating that equity in Bitcoin terms if you look at, say, hash price, which is minor revenue divided by that, the hash rate, which continues to go up, you'll basically find that a lot of these charts look pretty similar. Um, there's a pretty, that's, that's kind of what they trade off of is like uh, a multiple valuation on top of that, that hash price metric. Dylan, um, is it
1: possible to show us some of these charts? Do you have any, any of them in front of you that you can uh, share on YouTube?
2: Sure. Yeah, I can. I can try to pull some up here.
1: Molly's um, <clears throat> pulling that up. Another shout out. If you uh, if you want to check out the charts, go over to YouTube. It's pinned to the top in the nest. First uh, tweet has the link.
2: This I'll pull up. I'll pull up hash price in the Glassnode studio. Um, but essentially, uh, that's that's what you want to look at if you're if you're trying to make a return in, in, in Bitcoin uh, or decide when you want like when is it best to allocate capital uh, to mining. Uh, you have to know what hash price is. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a really fundamental way to, uh, kind of evaluate the economics of mining. Um, just one of the variables along with a bunch of other things. So, uh, this is minor revenue per terahash. Uh, and just since, just since 2017, it's basically fallen by like 90%. Uh, cool. So that's hash price, uh, since 2017, that's since 2020. Uh, yeah, uh, basically the minor rebound, it was, it got very, very profitable to mine Bitcoin. Uh, when difficulty plunged after that China ban, uh, and it still is very profitable. I mean, hash price in say, uh, if you want to call it summer of 2020, uh, was was seven cents, uh, eight cents, and now it's at 22 cents. So there's still three x more profitable in USD terms, but uh, not not quite uh, not quite what it was in April or say November.
1: That was a really great chart, Dylan. Thanks a lot. And I mean, I would love to to learn more about that. I'm sure you've talked about it on the deep dive. But um, yeah, this just idea of the profitability to mine a Bitcoin. Uh, I've heard, you know, people say that mining in Jamaica at 50, so, uh, 50 cents per kilowatt hour is, is profitable for some people. Um, can you talk about like what the average price of mining a Bitcoin is today? Um, and you know how there's still an enormous amount of room for arbiting that that price difference price difference between the market price and uh, what some miners are acquiring Bitcoin at.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's no uh, we we can kind of throw some models together to assume like a production cost of Bitcoin, but really uh, it's different depending on your uh, your your cost per kilowatt hour. And I will say I will preface it with saying I'm not an expert here, and I would I would throw it to Sam uh, on more of the exact numbers, maybe put him on the spot. But uh, I think like the publicly traded miners are mining for like 10K per Bitcoin. And even at like some residential uh, areas, like I know where I live, I could, I think my production cost with a like an S9, which is not a state-of-the-art Bitcoin miner, it's been in circulation for a few years, can still mine at uh, right. good, good profit at like 35, 40K cost. Um, so, you know, anybody that's kind of still funding, uh, like the Bitcoin, the network or its security model, despite the having event in 2020, uh, minor revenues in, in dollar terms, which is still, again, like the global unit of measure, uh, despite us living in like Bitcoin land, uh, despite the having event, they're more profitable. So uh, just something to think about
0: uh, when you're thinking about Bitcoin security model. Yeah, I think the, the number range are like two, two to three. Six cents per kilowatt hour. I mean, ranging. Uh, I know, if, like if you're, if you're like a, a retail doing something with like Compass or something like that, and having that managed out, it's it's like six or seven cents per, per kilowatt hour. Um, so still, you know, pretty profitable to do, depending on like what price you're getting your ASICs at. I mean, they're they're uh, it kind of moves with the Bitcoin price. If you're buying ASICs, you know, five six months ago uh, it's probably a great buy, but you know, ranges with. With especially with new ASICs coming out, kind of these new models, and seeing what prices they're going to be, kind of really determines on the margin of like what a what a small miner can make in terms of profitability. To me, it's
1: really really exciting to you know just see people being able to home mine. I remember throughout the entire bear market, 2018, 2019, uh, there was no confidence in any individual's ability to secure the network. I remember multiple people asked me, "Hey, should I mine?" and I said hell no, do not go mine, go and go just buy Bitcoin. It's much easier, Uh, it's, it's a surefire bet, that's what you should do. And in hindsight, you know, if they were actually serious operators, that was actually bad advice because if you were to have gotten and established yourself, Back in 2018, 2019, uh, you would be raking in the dough all of 2020 and 2021. Um, and again, you know the cost difference between what a miner acquires Bitcoin for versus what uh, buying it on the spot market you can acquire it for. You know that is the reason to mine, and you know that is ultimately the incentive structure that that drives the network forward. And it's really exciting to see old machines and residential. Uh, Bitcoin hobbyists being able to, um, you know, acquire uh, KYC free sats that way. Um, obviously, you know, if price does go down, if we enter into a bear market, you know, those higher price uh, miners are going to get squeezed, but. I still think a lot of uh, hobbyist miners are going to keep mining regardless of, you know, losing, uh, losing money in fiat terms uh, just to uh, acquire those KYC free sats. And uh, in a long enough time frame, it's going to pay off anyways if you're bullish enough.
2: And it's a secondary heat source. So up where I live, when it's where it's zero degrees and it's negative 10 some nights, you can fire them up in the basement and, and keep the house warm uh, and factor that into the economics of it all. <laughs>
1: Dylan, I love your analysis where you kind of break down how debt and uh, owning Bitcoin works. And you know, if you have any debt in any uh, co- sort of context, and you're also hold Bitcoin, uh, you know, theoretically, you're leveraged long Bitcoin. And I guess uh, when you like think of all things in terms of Bitcoin uh you know the the efficiency and the oneness with the network it's uh it's kind of inevitable and uh just you know heating your home with your ASIC is is kind of the physical manifestation of that
2: (laughs) It's a great way to put it I've never never thought about it like that
1: cosmic thoughts always here man we got we got about five more minutes left on this chat I think it's a, a good time for kind of closing words and maybe talking one last time about the deep dive uh I for one you know think that in the next quarter uh, a lot of information we're going to learn a lot about uh, Bitcoin and the Bitcoin market and how much the having cycles uh, rhyme and how much they really impact uh, the cost of bitcoin. so I think that this is a really interesting important quarter, and I think that this year in particular we're going to learn an enormous amount of you know how bitcoin's incentives work so uh, you know i'm going to be keeping an eye out on everything that's coming out on the deep dive uh, just because I find that is the best source of information, you know, both as granular as on-chain to as uh, zoomed out as as the macro context. So I'm really excited for that. Um, and yeah, I guess uh, that's it for me. I'll pass it over to, uh, I guess, who wants to go next? You want to go, uh, you want to go, Alex?
3: Yeah, sure thing. I second that. Get yourself on the free tier. There's nothing like getting the day uh, the deep dive every day, start your day off right get some good reading in get your education on bitcoin and the broader markets up to speed and uh yeah apart from that i would say you know again get your bitcoin 2022 tickets and come hang out with us um come enjoy life in miami with like minded or not so like minded bitcoiners seems like everyone's going to be there 35,000 plus people All industries booming, businesses being made, partnerships that will last forever. Um, Yeah, this is the event of the year. Promo code YTMAG for 21% off at checkout. And I'll pass it to Q.
4: The deep dive article that I read is probably one of the best things I get to read each week. Like I've just learned even more through this conversation today. Any of you guys took away even one nugget of information from what both Sam and Dylan have talked about. I cannot stress enough how great and how hard these guys work on their product. Definitely take the time to check it out. It costs you no money just to subscribe to the free version, and you're going to get hooked very quickly. And there's a rumor that if we get 50,000 attendees, Dylan's going to do a series of hockey trick shots in the middle of a park in Miami. So let's get to 50,000. Big if true.
2: Yeah, uh, this is a fun combo, guys. Appreciate uh, all the kind words. With the deep dive, we work hard on it for sure. Uh, we're gonna we're dropping our our daily dive uh, shortly after this, so uh, don't miss it. And uh, until next time,
1: what are you covering on the daily dive? What are you covering on the daily dive? Tell them we're talking about uh, GBTC hitting that
2: all time low, this uh, disc- to discount to net asset value and its implications on the market, and just giving uh, an overview of how the GBTC uh, structure works, the, the product structure works uh, for those that, that are unaware. So that's
0: what we'll, we'll uh, be covering today. Awesome.
1: Sam, you want to close us out?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Um, excited about what we got coming with a deep dive, doing a lot of different analytics, visualizations, uh, right now analyzing a lot of um, and talking about some on-chain metrics over kind of 20 cycle indicators and where they're at in terms of kind of bottom top metrics in the cycle um i'm personally excited to see how kind of the having cycle dynamics play out but i'm i'm mostly looking at kind of getting a handle on institutional demand that potentially can come in over the two or three months and looking at the data that's coming in there as i think that's gonna be a big catalyst so um yeah like everyone said you can see we'll, we'll publish work on twitter you can sign up for the free version and if you like that we get a paid version as well so thanks for having us guys yeah. 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 Yeah.